0: All right, so today we're here with Stephanie Rolick, who, co-f- who f- co-founded uh, a, mar- a marketing technology company called Dinashe and had, quote, absolutely no idea what she was doing and didn't have a network in the startup community. So she decided to create her own event to answer her own questions and build a network. And in September of 2017, roughly a year later, the first ever Startup Boston occurred, bringing together 25... 25- 2,500 attendees, and 125 speakers, over 52 events with guys like Brian Halligan, the founder and CEO of HubSpot, and the founder and CEO of DraftKings, just to name a couple. So would love to, so very excited to have you on the the podcast today. It's going to be fun.
1: I'm really excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it's been a really fun, um, I guess almost, almost 10 years in the startup scene, which is crazy. So really, really happy to talk more about it.
0: Yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be exciting. So I would love to learn, like, what was it like in the the early days of building Startup Boston? Um, Normally, like when I have some of these conversations with people who have crafted these events or even podcasts from scratch, it's people like my age who have just been reaching out cold. And they started with, like, their their dad's friend. Um, but, you know, I would imagine it's really different when you're trying to build a software company at the same time. So would love to learn, like, what day one was like and how you thought about getting involved in the, the community and then even bringing people into an event.
1: Yeah, definitely. So really the root of founding Startup Boston is because at that time, as you mentioned, I co-founded a company called Endash and I just had like no idea what I was doing in my life. I just i didn't know anyone in the startup community the startup world was new to me it wasn't something i ever thought i would end up doing like in college i had no idea what i wanted to do so when i graduated i basically was like all right i'll take whatever jobs available at this time and you know somehow that led me to the road of you know startups and co-founding one um myself and during that time frame i i was struggling i was 25 at the time and i was like how do you build a startup company how do you build a customer success team how do you um you know do sales for clients how do you go find your first couple clients right and also i mean don't even get me in the weeds of pricing and you know contracting it was there were so many new things that i just had no idea what i was doing Um, So I was really attending different types of events here in the greater Boston area in the hopes of finding other people that were going through something similar um, and really also attending events that could teach me what to do as a new co-founder. And back in 2016 at that time, I just couldn't I couldn't find anything that really helped me. Um, So that is really where uh, Startup Boston was born. I created Startup Boston as, you know, a hobby, um, basically, because I just wanted, I wanted to build my own community of people that could really, you know, I could learn from, I could support them, they could support me, um, and really at Boston took off. A lot of people were interested. So we do our annual conference Start Boston Week, which is every September. Um, and then we also host a lot of other events and content throughout the year. And all of it's really stems from, you know, the 2016 year old Stephanie Rulick, who's like, I don't know what I'm doing. And I, I want a sense of community. And I'm just really happy that as we hit almost year seven, um, you know, the core of why it was started is still true and still in play today and really kind of drives everything that we're doing um, in the organization.
0: Got it. So tell me a little bit about like the initial decision to co-found a startup at 25 as a like recent college grad. What was, what was going on there?
1: Yeah, I just kind of said yes, because it sounded fun, (laughs) honestly, um, Honestly, at that time, so I was working for a marketing agency and that marketing agency essentially pivoted into a software company um, known as Dash. It's still around today. Um, But at that time in the beginnings of, you know, working at the agency and then chatting with our CEO and, you know, deciding that I did want to be a part of that software startup journey, a lot of it was just really stemmed out honestly, me being like, well, why not? It sounds fun. Like, why not? Let's do it. And I think the nice thing, at least for me at the age of 25, was I just was in a good position where I could take that leap and it was going to be, you know, okay. Um, I had a really good deal with, you know, the apartment I was renting. It wasn't a great apartment, but I was like, okay, like this isn't like super expensive. Like I can afford this. Um, And I just had like, you know, really, low cost spending habits. I just usually don't spend money, still don't really spend money. Um, but I I was just in a really good position. And I was fortunate enough where I felt secure enough to be like, I will just take the leap. And if it doesn't if it doesn't work out, I just I go get another job, you know, like maybe I go back to waitressing or work in retail, which are two jobs I'm very familiar with. So I was just like, I might as well go for it. So I really kind of stemmed from that. And honestly, what I really loved about it and the reason that inspired me to say yes is I just love a challenge. I was like, this would be really cool. Like, if not now, when? Like, there's never going to be a perfect time to start a startup. Um, and it just seemed like, the world kind of lined up a lot of things where, again, I have those spending habits. I had a pretty good rent rate for my apartment. um, And I just knew, like, my fallback was to go back into retail waitressing while I got, you know, um, my footing for whatever I end up doing next if this fails. So um, it just felt felt like a a good decision at the time. And ultimately, it ended up being a very life-changing decision because deciding to co-found Endash was, one of the best things I could do because then it inspired me to, you know, start start Startup Boston. Um, And it also, you know, helped prepare me for my next role um, at Goldcast, which is where I'm at today.
0: Got it. So let me, I, I would love to learn about the process of building your event. So on day one or day zero, however you want to think about it, right? You don't have a network, you're trying to build a startup. And then like, did you just reach out cold to like the CEO of HubSpot? And you're like, "Yo." I'm going to have like a dope event. Like you got to come out and and speak here. What, what, what happened?
1: Um, actually that's pretty close to the email I sent him. (laughs) I'm not going to lie. It was a thousand percent a cold email. Did not know him. I was like, hi, do you, do you want to speak at my event? And then I, you know, included a few lines and, you know, tried to tell him how great it was going to be. And of course, um, he didn't respond. It was his secretary because I'm, you know, that makes a lot of sense. He has a lot going on. And she's like, oh, well, tell me more about it. And I was like, oh, my God, I got a response. Like, if anything, at least I got a response. Like, that is, that was huge to me at the time. I was like, even if it's a no now, I got the response. And I I took that as a win. Um, But honestly, you know, I mean, a lot A lot of building the conference year one for Startup Boston Week. It was September 2017, and I really didn't have a network, and I built the conference because I wanted a network. And when I tell you it was a second job, it was a 1,000% a second full-time job. I mean, the year 2017... And a lot of years after that, if we're gonna be realistic, but specifically the year of 2017 was the year a lot of things in my life changed, both personally and professionally. Um, when you were co-founding a tech company and then also starting an organization and hosting their flagship conference, you don't have any free time. Like you are working, you know, 14, 16 hour days, weekends. And if anything, I look back on the year 2017 and so many things in my life changed for the best. I mean, I definitely Fell off the face of the earth on a personal standpoint because when you're burning the candle at both ends and you're like, there's a deadline of a conference hovering over my head and I have to hit these deadlines, um, your life changes. You know, you do disappear. The people that you know you're close with might not be the ones you end up close with a couple, you know, years after that. Um, but. You know, it's everyone's in your life for a different reason, right? And I think, like, the big thing is going into that is just knowing. I think if anything... Um you just kind of learn how to prioritize like what you want to focus on and at that time at age of 25 I was like I have infinite energy I can survive off a couple hours of sleep like I'm just going to go for this like I will never have this much energy like later in life like now is the time to do it and that's really for me personally how I prioritize but that doesn't mean it's going to work for everyone um and my work-life balance was you know I would say different for me based on other people my work-life balance was I'm going to work seven days a week I will prioritize you know going to the gym or going on a run I will take a couple hours a week to binge watch some really shitty television that's really bad for you um but outside of that I was okay like to me that was the perfect work-life balance but that looks different for everyone and that's not going to be the same um for others you know everyone has their own um way that works. Um, But yeah, I basically, to go back to your initial point, I just pinged a lot of people I did not know. And I was like, it's going to be great. And they're like, how many people? And I'm like, I don't know, but it will be great. And we'll connect the community. And you'll give back and you'll be a part of this. And fortunately enough, um, a lot of people in Boston were really, really excited about it. And they're like, sure, why not? Let's do it. Um, And that's really what made year one of star Boston week so fabulous was the the community really coming together donating venue space um donating their expertise donating their time to help you know work the event with me um and it was just incredible like I still get goosebumps thinking about it it was just so much fun because like that week you're like oh my god I built this out of nothing and it was so incredible to see like the whole community come together um, for those five days
0: that is so cool I now I now have so many follow-up questions. <laughs> so so like, I guess the, the first one. Um, I know we talked about the cold email to the CEO of HubSpot. Was that like your first cold outreach attempt? Um, or were you, were you like trying to climb the ladder and like go from smaller companies up to bigger ones? Or were you just kind of like blasting at, at the uh, total addressable market
1: of conference speakers? Yeah, I definitely did the spray and pray approach where I was like, okay, let's look at everyone on LinkedIn, Twitter, the people I like, you know, have seen like no, no in quotation marks, like no, like I've seen their, their name out there and they seem like really awesome. Um, I definitely just kind of built it. You know, I didn't really have a huge strategy. I would say startup week now much more organized with our speaker outreach we are way way more organized heck even year two it was more organized but year one in 2017 i was like okay let's build my dream list of people who i want to have speak at this event um and in no particular order i just started emailing them i also found free tools like hunter.io where i could like you know figure out their email address. Um, you know, it was it was a lot of random LinkedIn messaging, Twitter messaging, guessing at their email, all that fun stuff. Um, but I was really fortunate, though, because then once I did start locking in a handful of speakers, they were like, oh, like, do you need help? Do you have ideas for others? And it was incredible. And again, I all go back to, like, the star community just coming together, because while I was the one driving the effort, it really was awesome to see so many different people who have done so much more in life than I ever have Um, being like hey how 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 else do you like what else do you need to get this done right it was it was just awesome um and you know some of them are harder to sell to speak at others some of them definitely declined there were so many no's um I think it was incredible like you know the ones that did say yes we ended up with about about 125 speakers year one Um, but you know, for those 125 speakers, I probably emailed like close to 500 people. And I think, and a lot of them ignored me. So I think that's also an important thing to kind of remember is like, if you're starting a conference, if you're starting a company and doing sales, whatever it is, like, you're going to get ignored a lot. And that's just part of like the game. And like, really at the end of it, in terms of winning, it's just not letting it get to you. Just being like, okay, well, they won't speak year one, but they'll speak year two, or they won't sign this contract right now. But I'll check it in six months once I have more data yeah. to show them how this works. And um, I think that's really like the name of the game there.
0: Yeah. So you mentioned you were doing like, you did, you sent like 500 emails in total. Um, yep. So I'm, I'm trying to like think about the balance or learn about the balance between the startup and building Startup Boston. So like 500 emails, like it's, it's obviously a very high volume, but at the same time, like one sales rep who's just spamming everyone with like, hey, like I have a cool product. Yeah. Um, like they, they might do that in like a week or two weeks. Um, so was the, was the majority of the work spent on building the startup and then like kind of as time allowed, you'd send a few emails to people every day? Or did you have like really, really focused like blasts uh, of emails or something like that? Um, I'd love to learn about just how everything fit together.
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. So basically, in terms of emailing people for a conference, this would not work the same for software sales, um, but specifically for emailing people for a conference, um, I would definitely say like a lot of it's like you can't email 500 people like week one, a lot of it's like this game of like, okay, I'm going to focus on this first wave of speakers, maybe the first, you know, 2030 have in my head, okay, you're going to bump it up like three or four times over the course of the next, you know, 14 days. If those don't respond, you're simultaneously looking for new people to reach out to. But the thing is, is you don't want to like reach out to all 125 speakers, which is the goal number up front, because like, let's say, you know, you want to make sure you have a good mix of people, good mixes of expertise. So, not, you know, you don't want to go and like be like, all right, I'm going to go email 300 people for the thought that I'll lock in 125. Like, that's a big no-no. So, it's a little bit more structured. You know what I mean? Like, you do waves and you see who responds and you do the next wave and you see who responds. So, the reach now in this 500-speaker emails, about-ish, I would say 500. Honestly, it could have been more, quite frankly. Um, But those were basically done over the course of, I would say, like four to five months right? Like it's four to five months of locking in speakers. Because again, like you can't just email them all at once. And you want to make sure each email is specific to them, especially when you don't have a reputation yet in the startup community. You don't have a startup uh, week conference that people know of yet. Like it's all new, right? So those first couple emails, like I'm very, you know, you want to be more specific about who you're sending them to. You don't want to do a mass email. You want to make it one-on-one. Honestly, I would LinkedIn message them and email them at the same time because I'm like, then they see my name in two places. But I didn't know that out of the gate. Like, that was something I was learning as I went. But that's something we now we now do. We're like, wait a second. If we don't know your email, we're going to try it in two places at once because then you'll be like, wait, I just saw this name. What is this? Um, but that's a lot of it. And then also in terms of balancing co-founding N-DASH and, um, you know, building Start Boston Week, I mean one of them definitely suffers, right? Like I will definitely say like, you know, my company and Dash like suffered on my end. Thank God for like the rest of the team there. But for me, I definitely didn't give it as much attention when we hit like the month of August because in August I was like, oh my goodness, this conference is in like six weeks. Like I have to get it done. So I mean, the other thing too, is like you just learn, you just learn that something is going to suffer. So how do you get ahead of it? So that then when you are, you know, kind of missing an action for a portion of it, your, your actual day job is okay on the other end and I've gotten so much better at managing that schedule and figuring out how to get ahead of it because I know in August it's always busy season so now I plan of what do you need to get done before August 1st like any big projects get them done before then because it's not happening again until you know end of September so um, a lot of learnings in that in that sense yeah
0: so I want to talk about like the 14 to 16 hour days a little bit more. I know you you mentioned this earlier that you were just filled with energy and you're like, you know, this is this is my time to do something great. Um, but I would I would love to learn like was balance, was maintaining motivation like difficult? Um, did you have like a mental hack or something like that? Um, it just sounds crazy to be like working 14 to 16 hour days with like a startup that may not necessarily be working and just cold emailing people for a conference that starts with like zero speakers, zero guests, whatever. You just have to take everything from scratch all at once.
1: Yeah. I mean, to keep my mental health, a lot of it was like going for a run. I did kickboxing a lot, kicking and punching really great therapy not going to lie it was very therapeutic at that time um but a lot of it was like i would just work out for like an hour or so a day and that was like a great break you know take walks if you need them um but like for me that's like how i best kind of you know kept myself energized and focused um and then i do think it's important i mean in retrospect like in 2017 i really would rarely take a day off like i was working all around the clock i had um you know my I basically had my startup. I was also working a part-time job to pay rent. Um, And then I was working on Startup Week. So it was like a lot on year one, right? And, um... I think like the big thing is is like looking back, one of the things I've learned and now I do is I work six days a week and I give myself the seventh day off. And that has worked a lot better the past couple of years. But back in 2017, like I just didn't understand that. I was like, we have to go, we have to go. I mean, honestly, Neil, if I'm gonna be so honest, I was so stressed out. I was like, you just have to keep working because that's the only way to get ahead of it. Like if I if I took a day off, I just became so stressed out because of the deadlines hovering over my head. And I was totally a mental wreck, like, (laughs) but I learned, I learned. And after that, I adjusted how, you know, I approached things. But at that time in 2017, I mean, I did, I worked seven days a week. I would take, you know, an hour a day or so to like go work out. I would take maybe a walk, like later in the day, every once in a while, take a break, watch an hour of like really crappy reality TV. Yeah, definitely. Wasn't a thing though, before I did this, like I never used to watch like actual reality of like crap TV until I start, start Boston. I think my brain was like, we can't concentrate on good TV. It has to be bad. Um, so that was like a new thing. That was never a thing before. Um, but now I have more, more balance. Like I'll usually, I look at my weekend schedule. I figure out like, okay, like what day is nice out that day take off and like the lesser nice day I work. Um, so balance.
0: (laughs) Okay. So to, to kind of wrap things up, um, as you reflect kind of like on the whole journey, how would you like think about hacking, getting started back on day one, day zero? Would you just do like a mass email campaign and just see like who out of 500 people responds and then, okay, now I'm going to open up like, you know, a hundred more of like this type of speaker or something like that? Or would you really just kind of follow the same cadence? And it's just kind of about, you know, getting the first few cool speakers and then you can scale.
1: Yeah. I mean, the the cadence I had then, we still use today. It's just more organized. So we still do it in waves, but we're just more organized about how we identify and reach out to speakers. We also, you know, track everything in Airtable and not in like a Google Sheet because Airtable is just so dynamic. It helps like populate in different areas. Um so that is one of the things, I mean, I think if we were going to take it another level, you know, next year, we'd may- maybe even move it over to like a CRM, like a HubSpot, so that we can also set up the reminders for when you're supposed to email someone, which isn't something available in Airtable. You kind of have to like make a mental note to go in and be like, okay, like, you know, what's next? Like, what is on the list for like this week? So there's always ways to improve it. I think that's like the only thing I would probably improve right now. Um, but I definitely would say like if you're planning a conference and it's like, you know, you're going to reach out to a couple hundred speakers, do it in waves, don't email them all at once and definitely take the time to, you know, send an individual email because that's going to help you a lot more than just like mass emailing because then people are going to, it's going to look like spam basically, right? So I think sending that personal email and then also connecting with them, messaging them on a LinkedIn, a Twitter, wherever you're reaching out to them. I think both of those like show that you care and that you're invested in the conference and invested in having them speak. Um, and even yeah. if they don't respond, then when you bump it up again, they can be like, all right, well, this person also. So just, like, paint me on this other platform. So maybe, maybe I'll see what's going on. Um, and then also in your email, too, just, like, keep it super, super short. Like, keep it to, like, three to four sentences. Like, this is the ask. This is who it is. Let me know if you're interested in learning more. Um, because if you send them, like, a five-paragraph email, which a lot of people have sent me prior – probably not going to be read I mean I def- de- definitely empathize with people now so I do read them because I'm like okay I've been in your position I get it um but I would say like for most like you definitely want to keep it smaller um just so that it can get the point across before you uh you know send them the novel about what you're doing
0: <laughs> that is that is so funny well really appreciate the time so I, I guess the 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 last the last kind of question Uh, would you recommend cold emailing the CEO of HubSpot on day one? Um, or is that kind of like a a later down the road thing?
1: Oh my God, just go for it. I mean, I'm a huge fan of just doing it, you know, worst case they don't respond, which is kind of what you're mentally prepared for anyway. Um, but I, I don't see why not, like, why not just give the person a ping, just ask them. They could say yes. I mean, he definitely did, which was monumental for year one. Um, and I, like, truly cannot thank him enough. Um, like, that was just, it was incredible. Like, it was mind-boggling to me. I'm I'm forever thankful, truthfully. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think for anything, like, anything that you're like, oh, my goodness, that's too much of a reach. Maybe I should wait. Don't wait. Just do it. Just go for it. Worst case, they say no. Worst case, they ignore you. You're already mentally prepared for the worst case, and you won't know if it's otherwise unless you just, like, go for it. So, why not?
0: <laughs> that is so true. Well, thanks so much for joining us.